Bienvenidos and welcome to the Jacobin Sports Show, episode 58. Matthew Miranda joined, as always, by a languid Jonah Birch on a musty day in New York City, it sounds like. I am in Stony Brook, Long Island, where the heat index is about 100 degrees, but there's a lot of trees and a nice wind going, so I don't feel like I'm suffering, but it sounds like the city is just a complete hellmouth today. Is that it's true? It's melting. It's yeah. a, it's it literally it's a melting pot, but <laughs> it gives new meaning to the term, you know, uh, melting pot. But I honestly, I wouldn't want to be in any other furnace. Wow, that's that sounded bad. That sounded wrong. I it's you know anyway. Better, you know what? In a in a twenty first century climate chaos sense, that was very sweet. Yeah. No. Honestly, there's nowhere I'd rather be than New York in the summer. I think it's beautiful. You know, it it makes me want to listen to every rap song made between 1993 and 1996. I don't really know why. I like I, you know, yeah, I feel like I should be listening to whatever, you know. Who was your rapper of choice between 1993 and 1996? Well, I mean... There were so many. Um, uh, I, yeah. It, how do I? I don't even know. I mean, of course, I I, I loved uh, Illmatic, uh, obviously. I mean, I loved Tribe Called Quest. I loved Black Sheep. I really yes. did. Mm-hmm. I loved the Beastie Boys. I loved Mob Deep. Uh, there are some real classics that I loved. You know who I loved was Lady of Rage. Remember Lady of Rage? I do not remember Lady of Rage. Okay, uh, look her up. L- <laughs> l- everyone, look her up. Lady you know, she she had her her time in the in the sun. Uh, she was a West Coast rapper. Okay, look up look up Afro Puffs. Mm. Great song. Just a great I know that song. I know that song. That's her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a good song. Yeah. Yeah. She was on a lot of like Snoop and Dre stuff. I feel like. Uh, she may have only had like two albums. I, you know, anyway. So uh, it's interesting to me that you come out of a time where there was um, that pretty strong East Coast, West Coast beef, and yet elite academic, bi coastal, bon vivant Jonah Birch enjoyed both East Coast and West Coast rap. Absolutely. Ahead of his time. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, of course. I mean, I, I, honestly, how how could you not? There was there was so much, um, you know, like like who didn't like I don't know hieroglyphics, right? The like the classic Bay Area. My uh, favorite East Coast, but there were a lot of good West Coast rappers. Like it was a, it was such a different style. Yeah, and it, I mean, Nate Dogg and Warren G. Were you a, were you a gangstar guy? No, no. I, I was. Loved, a, yeah. I was. I was. A, I was a very weird musical kid. Um, in that, you know, in that time, I was listening to no FM, like no radio. I was listening to like public Public Enemy, Metallica, and like a bunch of classical music. Like that's mostly what I was into. I didn't get like into rap as much as I got into like artists. Um, but like, I don't know as many people as most people. I know like Public yeah. Enemy. I know Leaders of the New School. Um, you know, Leaders of the New School. Yeah, straight up. I loved, you know, Buster Rhymes first band. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Did you know I that Buster Rhymes? Hey, did you know that? Do you know who named him Buster Rhymes? Who? Chuck D. And do you know where Chuck D. got Buster Rhymes from? There was. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Go ahead, go ahead. I just learned this like two days ago. Is it? It's it, it. was from like a movie. Is that right? Was it from a movie? I'm from a movie. Oh my god. Uh, okay, you're gonna tell me, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be so upset. Okay, I never cool. heard this. It was there was an athlete named Buster Buster Rhymes, right. and so Chuck D named him Buster Rhymes. Right, um, right, 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 right. He's great in that. Leaders in the school, Chuck D. Is, it was Charlie Brown, Buster Rhymes, um, right, such a right. good man. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, in fact, there was a time when I knew that, but 
Oh, I know. Was was time time. I, the time when I knew she Where, Buster Rhymes, the uh, uh, Brooklyn's own, right? He was a Brooklyn kid, wasn't he? Born in Brooklyn, but he went to high school in my town in uh, Uniondale. So my uncle okay. knew him in high school, and he was um, pr- pretty cool, like rapping all the time, obviously. Um, yeah. Yeah, I so mean, I was into them. Public Enemies from Ro- Chuck D's from Roosevelt. Um, so I, I got very into like yes, that. that I knew, that I, I knew. That. Yep. So I wanted to ask you. We're just gonna kind of, you know, sports is not just about the elite. Sports is about. Everything. I mean, let's just say it's the deadest time of year. <laughs> I, I, we, I feel like we got to talk about the summer league and the Knicks, the Knicks. You know, the Jalen Brunson press conference drama yes that yes. is currently unfolding and are we going to talk about the the mets and the yankees are we headed for a subway series is that what's happening now we'll have to discuss that we'll have to discuss yeah. a number of things i've been i've been back in the the new york metro area now for about two weeks and when i'm away i really lament not having new york sports radio because where i live um everything is basically national so it's like Colin Cowherd and Doug Gottlieb. Like it sucks, and and they usually. I mean, they're just the thing about that is it's just so boring. It's terrible. Like it's but just the thing boring is, radio. The Go only ahead. the only other so where I live, either you're listening to that station or you can get Buffalo Sports Radio. But Buffalo Sports Radio literally talks about the Bills twelve months a year. They never talk about the NBA. They never talk about Major League Baseball. I'm not exaggerating and like, well, they talk about it once a week. They never talk about it. They will still, to this day, on a three-hour show, today, Thursday, whatever, July 21st, the whole show is about the Buffalo Bills. So you either have to listen to the Bills or you listen to people who are talking about stuff you're more interested in, but it's like Colin Cowherd and Doug Gottlieb talking about stuff that you're interested in. But then I get down here, and it takes me like 10 minutes to remember like, oh, yeah, New York sports radio sucks too. There's just more of it, and they're talking all about my teams. But like, it's terrible. It's okay, like, it's terrible. there was a golden age of New York sports radio. You know, yeah, there was. There definitely was. This is not that age. Yeah, it isn't. I get I down agree. here, and it's Brandon Tierney and Tiki Barber, and oh Tierney is just letting the misogynistic language fly, and then. The other day it was Carton and uh, Evan Robert. Like, I'm so glad that we have a pod. So it's like sometimes I can just talk to you because it's like it's so hard to listen to people talk about sports. Yeah, it's yeah. Difficult. If anyone is going to rant incoherently, you want it to be someone that you, you know, you really <laughs> trust, you like. It's a personal connection. I want that. So, um, yeah, so let's start with Summer League, Jalen Brunson press conference, um, and then maybe if you want to talk a little Donovan Mitchell, we can get into that too. So I'm extremely surprised. This always happens whenever there's a, a big move now with the Knicks. I'm not surprised at all. I don't think anybody who follows the team is surprised that the ownership banned the press. In case you don't know, um, the Knicks yesterday introduced Jalen Brunson, who I think it's like the fourth biggest contract in team history. So it's kind of a big deal. And um, when he was introduced, he was introduced, but it wasn't a press conference. It was just um, people from MSG Network, which is owned and run by the ownership. And that's it. There was no outside media. The Knicks are the only team, I believe, who do this. Um, It's not a surprise that they did it. Chris Herring had a really good article today about it in Sports Illustrated. I thought, and I share his surprise, friend of the pod, Chris Herring, I don't understand why so many Nick fans, and it might be a vocal minority, but they side with ownership on this. And it creeps me out in the same way. I was reading some article about Golden State and like the luxury tax that they're approaching is enormous number. And the author of the article was interviewing the owner, uh, Lakeham. And yeah, he was just on a article, podcast, right? Wasn't he on Iggy's podcast or something? Anyway, sorry, go ahead. He might have been. I, this, this was a piece I read somewhere. And the okay. author of the article is writing in this tone like that basically is channeling Lakeup. It's like, well, of course, you know, they can't they can't spend this much money. 
much longer. Like they have to stop. They don't. Like they're incredibly, they're wealthy beyond reason. They can literally do this as long as they want to and never be bankrupted. Um, but to, it was so it was so distressing to see the the reporter like automatically adopting that mentality. And I remember years ago, I, I when I first started working in sports writing, uh, Rochester has an arena football team. They were called the Raiders. And I was interviewing the uh, the Raiders owner for a piece. And I could tell two minutes into the interview, like he wasn't talking to me. He was pitching me like PR answers for me to run with. So basically I could do the job of like helping promote whatever his viewpoint was. And that was some bullshit. So then I started asking him like difficult questions about steroids and other things that I knew he wouldn't want to get into. And the interview ended like very quickly at that point, but I didn't want to sit there and be a, a mouthpiece. And when I hear this from fans who have adopted ownership's idea that we don't, an independent press is a bad thing. Like, and somehow we are the only team in the NBA that has this conspiratorial press that's so unfair to us that we have no choice but to blacklist them all from a completely positive event. Like you're the Knicks. Here's Brunson. My God, like you have the only positive news in New York City basketball all summer. You want to promote that shit. But no, the big mean press, it's it's really sad and it, it's so pervasive. Phil Jackson's first press conference, within the, the first 10 seconds of the first thing he said, he was talking about the press being unfair to the franchise. Like it's so embedded in there. But it's stunning to me to hear fans I understand having beef with the press, but I don't understand feeling like the answer is fuck the media. We don't need them. Well, so is the issue here that they didn't want they didn't want to press and to be pressed on the tampering stuff, right? I mean, that's what's happening. More, I would say, they don't want to be asked about Donovan Mitchell stuff. Okay, well, that's a ridiculous. That's utterly fucking. That's so. I mean, that's absurd. That's those are basketball questions, and. Like, uh, the the tampering stuff is one thing, uh, and and I, I it's a wrong way to handle it, but I get it. Like, I get that you are guilty of tampering. We all know the tampering rules are ridiculous, just utterly absurd. We all know what happened here, and you don't want to deal with that. That would be one thing. If it's that you don't want to be asked about Donovan Mitchell r- rumors, well, I don't know what to tell you. Like, that's just, just... All you do is say at the start, guys, we're here to talk about Jalen Brunson today. We're not doing any Donovan Mitchell questions. You that's run the you New York Knicks. That's all Being you asked about rumors is part of your job. Like, yeah. that is not... And, <laughs> and Harry made this point, which I think is a fair one that doesn't get... I've written about it. I don't think it gets talked about nearly enough. The Knicks are now going on 40 years of not paying property tax at Madison right. Square Garden. So they're not just figuratively or metaphorically like a public trust or a public asset like they literally are something beyond just another business in new york city like there's a completely different element to what they are you should be more accountable just on that just on that basis just on the fact that you play there and you have a benefit that nobody else has like you should be wanting to stay on good terms with the city I think it's reflective of a lot of, you know, billionaire bullshit in general where like James Dolan can have this attitude and, and practice this way and actually have people fucking standing up for him. Yeah. I, that's so weird to me. Yeah. 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 I, the other thing that's funny is, and I mean, I, I don't know, man, look, like, look, I come from Boston where, and <laughs> it, it genuinely is true that the local sports media it's not that they hate the basketball teams, but they've built their identity around just like viciously attacking the basketball team, the, 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 the local sports teams, excuse me, even the Patriots and trying to antagonize the fans. Right. I mean, that's how they've gotten. I actually think that all things considered, particularly sports radio in New York, which I've uh, you know, I've dabbled in many uh, quite a bit over the years is remarkably friendly to to the New York teams and uh, in particular to the Knicks, which you could, you know, like, 
they get a lot of they get a lot of leash. I, like I don't know what to say. Uh, and from and from the tabloids, like I, yeah, you the know, were good back in the day. They were not always like like any team. You know, teams will have beef with media, but there was never this idea that the press was against the Knicks. They had good yeah. stuff to talk about because the franchise did well. You know, the Clippers didn't get great press the thirty years that they sucked. Totally, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I anyway, it not it, if the if it's true they wanted to not be asked about the Donovan and Mitchell stuff, then that's ridiculous. I, I I gotta ask you, where do you stand on the Donovan Mitchell rumors? It's completely um, colored by what the package would be that they would give up. There, there's no way he's getting traded to the like. I don't. I I, I gotta say I'm skeptical. Why? Well, look. The only way Danny Ainge is going to trade Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks is if he's getting back a, a mega package. Now, mm-hmm. the Knicks have lots of assets, but if they give Danny Ainge what he's going to demand, they are going to be stripped pretty bare, I would say. I, anyway, I, you know, I'm, I'm just telling you, like, I, you know, I watched Danny Ainge work for years and years and years and years. and that that Rudy Gobert trade was classic Danny Ainge, right? Mm-hmm. He took advantage of a team that was in this place where they really they want to compete. New ownership, right? The old the old owner is on his way out, Glenn Taylor. Mm-hmm. New ownership is they they're trying to make a splash. They want to keep this core together, and they were willing to trade an unbelievable amount of assets for Rudy Gobert. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just I'm skeptical a Donovan Mitchell trade is going to get made. Period, unless there is a huge package on the table, and that package is, you know, I I, I don't even I doubt Utah particularly cares about R.J. Barrett. Maybe they do, but mainly what they're going to want are draft assets, all the draft assets, right? Like literally every draft asset uh, for a player like Donovan Mitchell. So. Uh, you know, are the are the Knicks going to do that? I mean, I'm talking. What do the Knicks have? They have their own picks. Mm-hmm. They have some protected picks from I don't know. From- the four extra picks um, from Dallas this year. Yeah. Um, this coming season, they have one from Milwaukee in 25. They have one from right. Washington, and they have one from. Oh God, I want to say I can't remember who the fourth one is. There's a fourth one from someone else that they're also owed. Um, Washington, Milwaukee, I don't know. Um, Utah, it sounds like it's been pretty clear that they don't want R.J. Barrett um, in a deal because they don't want anyone that's going to cost money, and he's due um, fairly soon for some kind of rookie extension. If they want what they want, if they want what they got from Minnesota for Gobert, the only team that can match that is the Knicks. And Sure. There has been, I've had a lot of, like, I have a lot of Carmelo anxiety, um, specifically of, you know, giving away a dollar for a dollar and and not being, and and the sad thing about Carmelo was that very soon after he got there, you know, they were starting washed Mike Bibby, they were starting washed Baron Davis, they were trying to throw him on Shumpert at, at a rookie because they had no options to improve the team because they had traded everything away. Uh, Jamal Murray, who's currently, you know, one of Denver's all-star trio, he came out of that deal. He came out of a deal that was made five years before he was in the league. So I don't want that. What it sounds like, we'll see where things fall in the middle. So far, Utah asked for everything. The Knicks said no. Um, The Knicks, it sounds like the bickering is going to be over. The Knicks want to give them a lot of of the protected firsts. Utah wants basically Nick unprotected first. And then with the players, it's a matter of Utah evidently likes Quentin Grimes a lot. Do the Knicks have to give one more of their young players or not? Because if they take on um, also the contract of Bogdanovich, that gives Utah some cap relief. So I think a deal is going to happen because I don't think Miami always scares me, even though I know Danny Ainge hates Pat Riley. Um, and vice versa. Miami scares me because 
they're supposedly hung up on Durant right now, but I can see them very, very quickly pivoting to like, here you go, here's Tyler Hero, here's, I don't know, they make another deal and get some picks. I think a deal happens. I think the Knicks are the front runners, which is rare. Um, and I think I would imagine nothing happens maybe for the next four to six weeks, but that Utah wouldn't want to bring this into their training camp, particularly into the season, because their whole point now is to tank. They don't want Donovan Mitchell on the team helping them win games. Um, so I think it's going to be a next. It totally comes down to how I don't want to give up six picks and three young players. I think that's too much. Yeah. I, I, you 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 think that Utah wants to tank? I, I'm not yeah. sure that's how Danny looks at team building, but I hear you. I hear you. Maybe not forever, but like you don't you don't swing a deal that primarily brings back future draft picks because you want to try to win games immediately and reduce the value of those picks. No, but um, but if, if you have two really valuable assets like that. Let's say, look, they think this current version of the team is maxed out. Yeah. They think Mitchell is going to be unhappy, that he's on the wrong timeline for what they now want to do. And they they want to start fresh and build something that it can be a real championship contender. You have two incredibly valuable assets, and you can just stockpile Oklahoma City style future draft capital. Well, it actually – it means that there's less of a premium on you yourself, how, you know, how you do in the lottery, right? Uh, and mm. and that was, I mean, when the Celtics rebuilt after the big, big three, they got bad, but they were never, you know, like, you know, I mean, they were they were bad, uh, pretty briefly. They got pretty good very quickly, but the main mm-hmm. focus was clearly on the asset you know, accruing assets, essentially, right? And in the modern NBA, the teams that are like, we got to lose games, lose games, lose games, it just takes a very long time for that strategy to pay off. And it can pay off, you know, and it can go badly. But the much safer, smarter strategy is to figure out how to just build up the maximum number of assets possible, right? And try and translate that into something. Doesn't that seem right? You know, I, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I wonder with a new ownership there if they if they have a different mentality in mind from before. In part because, like we we keep saying tanking, but you can't tank like you could before. It basically you basically have to accelerate the process at this point, like Oklahoma City has done. Like that's modern tanking. Um, you can't do what the Sixers did, but if you just glom a million picks, you're onto something. I think that Utah. I think a new ownership might feel like, you know what, there has basically for 20 years now, there has not been a great player who's wanted to stay in Utah, ever. Darren Williams did not want to stay. Gordon Hayward did not want to stay. Gobert would have stayed, but like I wouldn't classify him as a, a typical star. Um, and Donovan Mitchell doesn't want to stay. So maybe they would think to themselves, our best chance to get people to stay is to make them homegrown, to have all the advantages that you know, teams do with draft rights and bird rights. Um, maybe they, and I could see OKC having the same logic. It's not a free agent draw, but every CBA continues to give incumbent teams more advantages. Maybe the solution is just draft a buttload of guys ourselves and we'll control it that way because no one's going to sign with us and not many people are going to say, please trade me to Utah. Like, I want to go there. No. So maybe that works to the advantage of the Knicks. I'm, I, I, you know, I'm, I don't feel good going against Danny Ainge in a negotiation, but I do feel good that Leon Rose has been in charge three off seasons now and has yet to do anything that seems like panic or overpaying. So we'll see where it goes, I guess. Yeah. yeah are yeah. you are you personally um, concerned about Russell Westbrook and LeBron James not speaking to each other? At the Vegas Summer League, when apparently someone snubbed someone, um, <laughs> I am I'm very concerned about it. You know, didn't they have a phone call, or did I make that up? That story came out after the alleged snub, and I see feels very much like, "Hey guys, everything's okay. They were on the phone. It's all good." <laughs> I mean, let me let me say this: the the 
Russell Westbrook agent breakup letter about Russell Westbrook was the single craziest thing I have ever seen a sports agent produce, publish. Yes. Like, I, I'm like, am I in Jerry Maguire right now? Like, what? <laughs> what, what? <laughs> He's basically like, Russ wants out. And he doesn't realize he's going to get attached to, like, value. Actually, the only way that's happening is if he gets attached to actually valuable assets and then gets bought out and, you know, ends up wherever the fuck. This is a cry for help. This is a cry for help. He should stay in L.A. and try and make it work, but he doesn't want to do that. And you're like, okay, like. uh, I believe Russell Westbrook is just going to put his head down. And bully his way to wherever he thinks he's getting to. What, what was Darvin Ham thinking taking this job? Explain that to me. Darvin Ham is thinking that you get you, you've never had a head coaching job in your life, and here you got LeBron and Anthony Davis and the Lakers. You take that shit. You're not you're not sitting around waiting for you know for Utah or or some gig like that. You take this shit. I'm sure yeah. right now he doesn't know what you know. What's going on? Um, and they're so funny. It's 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 killing me that the Lakers won't give up a draft pick like seven years from now to get off Westbrook and get Kyrie. Everything you are doing is centered around maybe we can win one more. And when last season ended, they looked completely stuck in the mud, that they were this mess of a configuration and there was no way to break it up and no way it could work together. And the universe hands them, here, take Kyrie. He's a little weird, but he fits much better with your team. He's a much better player. He's younger. He's better in every way. Well, I mean... He's flaky. Except for one. He's flaky. You know. It's flaky. But he was, there. he was there in the playoffs this year. You know, like he, he was. was there at the end. He um, was. So I thought I was I was, I was yeah. watching the other day rewatching um, Freddy versus Jason because I was a big fan of the Friday the Thirteenth movies, and I saw Freddy versus Jason back in the day when it came out in a in a city theater in Buffalo, which completely enhanced the experience because it was a lively crowd and people are like yelling at the screen. The movie's not great, but I bring up the movie because if if you have seen it or if you have not seen it. Um, in the movie, Jason basically... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I saw it a, a long time ago, maybe. Jason basically gets, like, kind of bullied around by Freddy. Um, and it's weird. There's a point where you, you really feel yourself sympathizing with Jason Voorhees. Like, you don't like him. With everything he's done, there's a point where you see anyone get knocked around enough, and you're like, come on. Like, come on. I'm rooting for that person. I feel that way about Westbrook. Wow, you are amazing. What, what an amazing comparison you just drew. This guy is, uh, he's been so terrible. He so bothers me. Like, if he retired five years ago, I would have been happy. Like, not bothered at all. But when I think of him like, at an arena and everybody is, like, uh, you know, presenting themselves to LeBron, like, coming to the throne and and – coming to see LeBron <laughs> and Westbrook is like excommunicated on the other side of the, the Thomas Mack center, wherever they have these games. Now I did feel a little bit like, come on, like leave him alone at this point. Leave it. We all yeah. see what's going on. Leave him alone. Yeah. Yeah. We all see what's going on. I, he was, I mean, tell, Russell Westbrook was, had, was very good on Houston for a little bit. He was, he, yeah, he was very good on Washington for a little bit, or at least good. He was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's still some version of roster construction where he is a valuable player. I don't care what NBA Twitter says. <laughs> and uh, Le- LeBron James has no one to blame but himself for this whole situation, this ridiculous scenario. And yet I assume he will find someone in some way. Yeah, to blame someone else. To blame it I mean, I, so is the you really think the issue is that the Lakers are balking on giving up draft capital to for to get Kyrie? Yeah, and it, not that the Nets are like, there's no fucking way we're taking on what Russell Westbrook. 
No, I don't think so at all. I think um, a lot of reporters have, have made it sound as if the Lakers are deeply concerned that they if they were to trade the 27 and the 29, <clears throat> they don't have, I think, any other picks the rest of the decade. I don't think that that should matter, but it's not necessarily irresponsible. It doesn't for, matter to me. You know, I'm for uh, yeah, it. We don't care at all. But it's not unfair for them to think like we have to look, we have to have something in reserve. We can't just LeBron's 38, AD is unreliable physically, Kyrie is unreliable in other ways. I can see them being like, we're not, we're not throwing everything into this spot. If Kyrie was a guarantee to play 80 games, then maybe they they probably have done it by now. Um, but like yeah. you pointed out, you you can't even assume that, and you can't even. It's not even like him and LeBron have a perfect um, history together either. So. I get it, but just I don't see any other way out of this. I, there's no other team in the league that's gonna like want Russell Westbrook. Yeah, yeah, so, totally. Yeah. The All Star Game, Major League All Star Game, happened the other day. I could not care less anymore. I can't remember the the last All Star Game I watched was 2009. I think it was in St. Louis, um, and that's only because I was traveling around the South and I happened to be in a hotel that night and the game was on. So I watched it, but I was thinking, you know, when I was a kid, I, I want to talk a bit just about like your lived reality as a, as a sports person today. Like all-star game used to be such a big deal. Major league baseball all-star game was always a cut above, you know, the pro bowl is, is nothing. And NBA all-star game can, has traditionally been non-competitive. All-star game used to be a really, really big deal in major league baseball. And now I could, I don't care about the home run derby. I don't care about, the game itself, I don't care about. I don't know if they still attach home field to it like they used to. Yeah. When is the last time did you did you watch any of this game? Did you care? No, no, I didn't watch. I didn't care. Uh, you, you know, in Boston, care. how long has it been since you cared about the All Star game? Uh, I, God, I mean, I cared in 1999 Pedro. Uh, when when Pedro Martinez started and struck out five of the first six. Mm-hmm. And uh, at Fenway, and Ted Williams was there before they detached oh, his yes. body and froze it. That's uh, <laughs> true. Sorry. No, it would have been it would have been much weirder if he was there after they had done that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a 20th century relic. Like I can't remember caring. Basically, once interleague play started, like, and that's what always bothers me about baseball. And like, it's just relentless yeah. capacity. For Can it. I just say though? Yeah. If you go back, go back and look at video of the 1999 uh, All Star Game, and the thing that's amazing is that uh, Ted Williams, they you know they kind of wheel him out, and he looks like he's doing better than Elon Musk. So that's pretty incredible, you know. Like I think he he actually could win an arm wrestling competition against. <laughs> Did you see the whole thing? Talk about how we started body shame and Elon body Musk. shaming in episode 58 of the Jack. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> of course you can body shame Elon Musk. Oh, shut the fuck up. If, Man, he, were, if, if, if he were human, I would be much more offended. He's the richest man on the planet. He, he, he can have a personal trainer on Mars. You know, I, I don't. <laughs> he like, a trainer on two planets. <laughs> it's just like, oh, God. Yeah. People need to like relax. I'll put, I'll put it this way: I am not upset that that is his body in a karmic sense. Yeah, I'm not. I, I was pleased to see that that was Elon Musk. I just, I've been, um, you know, I've been like weightlifting for the last eight eight months or so. I see that you're practically popping off of the screen. You guys are lucky. This is an audio pod, and, and actually, because I want to get to a point where I could bench press Elon Musk. <laughs> and you know, like, and I, I actually think I might be there. Like, my max bench press is is two ten, okay. and uh, uh, you know, how tall I mean, is he? Do we know? Let's look him up. Yeah. Let's look up how tall the young Elon Musk is right now. I, I mean, we'll try to guess his weight. Yeah, Elon Musk is six foot two. Oh wow, he's a big fellow, a big boy. Um, yeah. Let me see if I can. I doubt anyone has his weight, but we can always hope. Elon Musk weight. Uh, he weighs. Oh, they always do it in metric. Uh, 
He is 82 kilograms. Um, what is that in America? You know, good enough. 80 kilograms. You are in luck, my friend. It says 180 pounds. I'm not sure. Yeah, I believe yeah okay. That. <laughs> I think he. <Elon laughs> that. that was like that was like three Tesla bankruptcies ago. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be that far off from being able to bench press that dude. Yeah, he he's I. Uh, yeah, he definitely is. I, I I would guess closer to 280. Uh, Have you seen? There's an ice cream truck in the city that sells ice cream bars in the faces of Musk, um, Bezos, Gates, and who's the other one? Like four four billionaires. And somebody goes around and sells ice cream. It's the most like, like centrist liberal fucking. It I, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. The people are like proud of themselves for eating an ice cream. That's like I think I have seen this. I might have, I might have got. Actually, it might be good. I'm I'm not saying anything about the taste, but um, oh Zuckerberg, that's the other one, Zuckerberg. Yeah. And they, they look disturbingly similar. Like the Zuckerberg one, and the face is kind of ovally instead of round. But otherwise. Yeah. 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 A little weird. Yeah, so, anyway, back to the All Star game. Yeah. I just, no one, who gives a shit? No. Like, the real question is when were people last, when were the players, when did they last care about the All Star game at all? When was it moderately competitive? I was the major league all-star game ruined by that year. It ended in a tie because they ran out of pitchers. I think it was already dying. I think that was like the death knell. Um, I think the two things that killed it, and I'm not saying, I think one of them is, was worth it, but one was free agency because it made it easier to see like back in the day when the all-star game mattered, it mattered in part because that might be the only time you ever saw Wade Boggs or the only time you saw Tony Gwynn or Frank Robinson or Mickey Mantle. But once free agency becomes more prolific, you see these players more and more. The TV deal grows. You see these players more and more. And then once you make interleague play, like when I was a kid, oh, Dwight Gooden pitching against Don Manningly, like the whole world came to a stop. Yeah. But now sure. like I, I've seen Garrett Cole – Pitch to, you know, Starling Marte, and they're, and they're, I've seen that. Um, when was the last time the NBA All Star Game mattered? I don't think they feels It's got to be God, not in my lifetime. It mattered at some point. No, the only one I ever saw that when I was a kid. Okay, in the nineties, the last one I saw that really mattered was ninety two when Magic came back in Orlando. Yeah, yeah. But like after that, like they weren't. They were generally the only All Star game I remember being competitive was the one in two thousand two, I think, or three, when the East they were led by Iverson and Marbury and Rotumbo and Paul um, Pierce. They went on this, yeah, they went on this huge comeback in the fourth, I think, and the West had won for like ten years in a row. But really, right. you know, and then when they switched to that Elam ending a couple of years ago, um, I know the first time it was like really exciting, but. You know, they've been talking about this midseason tournament too, and they want to add a midseason tournament and to incentivize the players to care, they want to make it that for the winning team, each player gets an extra million dollars. I that probably matters to I, I was gonna say like that doesn't matter to these guys, but other than like Steph Curry and and Jokic, it probably does matter to a lot of guys. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I mean I'm sure it matters to some people. I just can't. Um, I can't imagine how the NBA is going to create interest in a midseason tournament. Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Will I care? Will you care? We'll care because we care about basketball just that much. Yeah. True. True. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's there. Yeah. You know what? It's uh, that feels to me like when Marvel makes a film, and I recognize at some point it doesn't even matter. Like what quality is like i'm gonna see it and they know i'm gonna see it and yeah. and, and with this like if you do a missing turn of course like i find the play and now like very exciting and very cool like i wasn't for it initially um but i think it's really good i i still i still feel like i'm anti 
Uh, Anti-bullion? Yeah. Uh, what can I say? I'm a traditionalist, you know? I could live without it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think you're watering stuff down, but I, I feel like if you want to keep the play in, then I would rather have the first round go back to best of five. I think it's so stupid to have four teams playing in a tournament when you know damn well none of them are going to beat one or two four times out of seven. But make it best of five, yeah. and like maybe then it's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever. Yeah, well, we could debate it again when it comes back next year, right? You know. Uh, yeah. Speaking of next I, year, Jonah Birch, are you as convinced as some people that the World Series champion next year will be a team from the five boroughs? A team from New York who do, City? Who do, okay, so who do, who do, who's the main threat here? It's it's the Dodgers, right? Astros and Dodgers. Astros and Dodgers. Okay. Yeah, the Astros just played the Mets and Yankees back-to-back a couple of weeks ago, and they fucked up both of them. They won like 9 of 11 or something. The Astros are legit. Yeah. Um, I, you know, how would you want a subway series? Yes. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What, what if the Yankees are heavy favorites? Doesn't matter. Wouldn't bother me. And as in particular, because I think that because these Yankees have never won a World Series, and because these Mets, I am presuming, would be led by DeGrom and Scherzer, um, I will take my chances absolutely with the Yankees. The possibility of beating the Yankees in the World Series, especially now when both teams, relative to their standards, have gone so long without winning a World Series, that would be... (coughs) The greatest sports moment in my life as a fan was when Man City scored at the end in 2020. Oh, shut the fuck up about Man City. No one cares, honestly. You know... Okay, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's okay. You, you, You don't sound like a little bitter, like at all. (laughs) Um, that's been the happiest sports memory probably of my life. If the Mets were to beat the Yankees in the World Series, that could be number one. Like, that would be so big. Yeah. Uh, And especially also now, it's. it's, I know you don't want to hear about the City, but the City winning wasn't just like, hey, they won a title. But because it was united and because of all the history and contrast between them, if the Mets were to win a World Series with an owner who is basically like the biggest spender – in all of the, the game after the Wilpons for years, and to be the Yankee team whose fans have been pissed now for a couple of seasons because um, Hal Steinbrenner does not spend money the way his father did. Yeah, like they would just. I mean, it, whatever. And the rules are different, obviously now. It, right? They are, but like he could pay it. You know, the Yankees aren't in danger of not being able to afford to pay what the Mets do, but that would be so delicious. Like for all that to come together, would be so delicious. Can I just say, and this is one of the things about sports that is clearly an improvement, even about baseball. Hmm. Like, I'm so happy that we live in an era where sports medicine and science has reached a point that people like Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer can still be great pitchers when they're on the mound, right? However old they are. Now, there were uh, maybe, I guess, baseball pitchers. There were always some. Like, how old is Scherzer? He's got, he's, he's. There's 39, I think. 38, 39. That's incredible. Verlander yeah. has to be similar, right? Verlander, I think, is 39. Maybe 40, but I think he's 39. Whatever steroids they need to be on to remain great pitchers. You know, like, remember when Roger Clemens was just, like, dominating in his 40s? Oh, Yes. Very well. And I fucking hate Roger Clemens, you know. Uh, I still, I hate him. But, I mean, that was so kind of impressive to watch. And yeah, whatever, whatever juice they have to be on, you know, I want the talent to continue, to shine through. Do you know what Ver- I mean? I do. Verlander was asked recently about what it is that um, has led to this success since he left Detroit for Houston. And he said that... Um, it's because of performers at Jonah. No, he said it's because um, <laughs> I don't know, everyone missed that scoop. He said it's because the analytics, like the way that Houston um, talks about pitching and what they emphasize and what they like train for um, is just on a different level. And I believe that versus what he had in Detroit. Um, he's incredible. I mean, he's literally a guy that five years ago, people were like, all right, he's, he's done. He's close to done. 
it's Clemens-esque. You know, it, it is Clemens-esque in terms of this isn't a, a bizarre, irrational, late career just bloom. Yeah. But he's dominant. He's more dominant now, I think, than he was in his prime. It's interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, he's incredible, huh? Yeah, Scherzer too. Scherzer is a monster. I love watching that guy pitch. He is so fucking intense. Hmm. And I don't think I've yeah. ever followed an athlete before that has two different colored eyes. It's very nice. When they're good, it somehow adds it adds some element to it that you're like <laughs> it gives it gives him a crazy, a real crazy. It does. It does. I wanted to ask you, since you just mentioned Clemens, um, I want to I want to maybe close the show with a, a review of. Wait, I have another question about basketball, oh. but okay, go ahead. Oh no, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, no. I, well, I wanted to ask about your summer league, summer league experience, and uh, you know, were there? Did you see Keegan Murray? Were there any players that really stuck out to you? Are, were you a summer league guy this year? I didn't see much of it. Um, I am. Did you see JD Davidson of the of the of your Boston Celtics? I read about JD. I did not see him, but I have been reading about JD. I have not seen other than highlights. I'm in a, a I'm staying somewhere for the month of teaching. I don't have like TV, and I've read about summer league and seen highlights. I haven't watched any of it. I've, I've read about Davidson. Uh, I know Keegan Murray was great. I know Clinton Grimes was really really good. Um, I liked Orlando's. <laughs> Very confident move of after two games deciding that, like, Boncaro, he doesn't need to play anymore. Like, that yeah. guy's good. Chet Holmgren, from what I saw, I saw a lot of um, film and stuff on him. He looked really interesting. Like, really, yeah. really interesting. Um, what uh, what stood out to you that you saw in summer league? Tell us about Mr. Davidson. No, no. He, he looked great. He looked great. Yeah. He looked very confident running the team. I mean, what does it matter? You know? Uh, you know, who, who, I, who even was it Portland who won or something or Portland beat the Knicks in the championship game. Yeah. Oh, tough, tough. <laughs> you know, it's just, feels like 1999 all over again. I, I, was, I was right back in 94 with the Rockets. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Falling yeah. down on my face. Let <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, me ask you, I want to know who your, who's the first athlete that you hated uh wow okay well not an oh fuck hate i mean lambeer but uh i was wondering if it was lambeer yeah yeah so others that i hated were chuck the rifleman person but with the, there was an air of respect there right yeah 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 i can see that with him i mean he was a real nemesis uh, uh -huh. but how about this one not an athlete per se but i truly truly hated Tony LaRusso. Yes, uh, yes. Because in the late, I was, I feel like I was really ahead of my time on the hating Tony LaRusso. <laughs> it's a gift. Yeah. Uh, now everyone in Chicago, from what I understand, and you know, most of America, America, I think. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, Captain DUI, not a fan of of the immigrants, is a fan of intentional walks. Uh, after two strikes or one strike, you know, like, uh, so, um, that was something else. Sorry. Yeah. That was something else. What, what I said or what he said, you know, I call no, him like I see did, him. No, no, what he did, because there what was, a, was if you saw the clip, the White Sox announcers, I know, going like, are yeah. like dying, like, like trying not to, they don't want to say it, but like, they're not really hiding, like, that they're saying, like, Larusa has lost his fastball. <laughs> this does yeah. not make any sense at all. Totally, yeah. So uh, he was the manager of the late eighties. Uh, uh, you know, uh, who, tormented, who tormented the Boston Red Sox in the playoffs? They did. I mean, those Red Sox teams were just weren't quite good enough. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but had some had some great players. Obviously, Clemens, mm -hmm. Boggs, Jody Reed. Uh, Tom Brunanski, Ellis Burks, Tom Brunanski, Mike Greenwell. I was yeah. that, the first one I thought of was Mike Greenwell, actually. Yeah, yeah, the Gator, the Gator. Yep. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, um, Oil Can Boyd. I was a big. Oil I love Oil Can Boyd. Yeah, I think he had some, you know, some mistakes. But uh, but anyway, so um, yeah, um, 
I would say Tony Larusa was the first one of the first ones. I remember collecting baseball cards and getting a Tony Larusa card, and very like aggressively like tearing it in half. <laughs> and and uh, my parents were uh, less than pleased. Who was the first you hated? I hated Ron Hextall. Wow, the goaltender for the Flyers. Yeah, hated him. Hated him. Was it the Flyers or the? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Flyers. Um, now he's currently the GM for the Penguins, but uh, he played on the Flyers and then later the Islanders when the Rangers won the Stanley Cup. And I hated Ron Hextall so much. Um, I'm trying to in baseball. I hated the Astros, but not like a player. I just hated the Astros. And then um, Alonzo Mourning got really high. Alonzo Mourning and Clemens ended up being like really high. Sure, basically, them, sure. them, and, them and Hextall are basically my big three. You know what Jeff Van Gundy was saying during during that fight? Uh, with He was saying, when they go high, we go low. <laughs> That's Rochester's own Jeff Van Gundy, who played at Nazareth College, point guard at Nazareth, and later co- coached the boys at McQuaid Jesuit. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The Van Gundys are a big Rochester sports name. Wow, cool. Mostly Jeff and his dad mostly. Well, I think Stan played somewhere else. So, I think that's it for today's episode. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Fun to yeah. catch up. Thank everyone for joining us. Um, please check us out on Twitter at Jackman Sports. The Patreon, if you're interested in subscribing, can be found Patreon.com/slash. Jackman Sports Show just put up the second exclusive piece for readers last night. Um, if you want to email, it's jacobinsports at gmail.com. Um, yeah, that's it for now. But thank you all for listening, and we will get back to you soon when it is hopefully not 100 degrees. Bye bye.